0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that is bombed. We lost our bid for the Speaker of the House. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Moji oliver Hello, and Marie Khan.
0: Hello, everyone. Coming up on today's show, turns out when your whole ass state passes a ballot initiative to keep abortion as a right, politicians will still find a way to block you from accessing one.
2: And our guests today are taking on the trash AG of Kentucky doing just that and suing the state on the grounds that the abortion bans violate their religious freedom.
0: Joining us are plaintiff Lisa Sobel and co-counsel Ben Potash to talk about the case.
1: All that and the latest abortion news, but first, whoa. Our friends at ProPublica have a scoop for this week. And I cannot believe the media is not all over this story. ProPublica released a tape that they acquired of a conversation between the Susan B. Anthony list, who I will, um, I'll get into who they are in a hot second. They're an anti-abortion lobbying group uh, and anti-abortion politicians in Tennessee about not if, but how and when. They should start going after banning birth control on IVF. It is some bullshit. Um, so have a listen. And maybe your caucus gets to a point next year, two years from now, three years from now,
2: where you do want to talk about IVF and how to regulate it in a more ethical way or deal with some of the contraceptive issues. Um, but I don't think that that's the conversation that you need to have now. I would
0: not recommend having it now in the context of your current political. Wow. So they know it's not within the context of abortion, but they but they see the merit in going after it a couple of years down the line.
1: Just, you know, it's kind of like just lay low for a second because people are hot and bothered about this whole stealing their rights thing. So let's wait a minute and then we can really go after it. I mean, it is garbage. And the article we're going to put the article in our show notes, it is you have to read this article because. As gross as that is, um, if you ever thought they weren't coming after IVF and birth control, um, the article lays out some bullshit. So just so you know, Susan B. Anthony List is a national organization. And maybe a lot of you listening know about EMILY's List, which is um, helps get pro-choice candidates elected. Susan B. Anthony List is the opposite of that. They, get, they work to get anti-abortion candidates <clears throat> elected. And here's what's creepy about them. So that's their political arm. They have a nonprofit arm called the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And the Charlotte Lozier Institute was created by the Susan B. Anthony list to employ quack doctors. And when I say quack doctors, it's like PhDs in shit that ain't doctoring to have non-peer reviewed studies that the anti-abortion movement uses all the time as facts and evidence. If you've ever heard Abortion causes breast cancer. There's abortion regret. They'll gather up 200 people who say they regret their abortion and then write up a paper on fancy letterhead and say that it's research. And so they work in cahoots with each other. And so the Charlotte Lozier Institute and the Susan B. Anthony List were on this call guiding a whole bunch of bullshit um, around pushing forth legislation and talking to one one politician in Tennessee, in particular, who's an actual physician, and so okay. So
2: what's wild is right. So Tennessee politicians signed um, what is the most restrictive anti-abortion law in our in our country. It, it it employs this thing called affirmative defense, which essentially says abortion is always illegal in Tennessee. But if a person has an ectopic pregnancy or the life of the pregnant person is in in jeopardy, then um, they can do an abortion to save their life, but they could also be indicted for it. It's possible they could be indicted for it and they could defend themselves by saying, but their life was on the line. So this is wild. And so this this one politician was like, you know, I just signed it in 2019 because like I'm a pro-life and that seemed really, and we didn't think it would have any teeth because of Roe v. Wade. And then of course, you know, the Dobbs decision happens and all of a sudden it becomes law in the land. And he had- but, but, all-
1: emoji, this one politician is a physician- is and he's and he
2: says in the article at some point he's like I think that this information they gave me was from a person who's not a doctor and he's like I didn't know and I have all kind of regrets but I'm still not in any way interested in doing anything about these regrets besides I don't know talk to ProPublica he had all these opportunities to say like oh I should vote yay on the like maybe we enter some some defenses like uh you know life of the pregnant person rape and incest which again are not even Real carve outs, but
1: like, okay, it's something, and he's like, Yeah, uh. but also the person he was talking to, we said, I don't think that's a real doctor. That was one of these quack researchers Absolutely. from the Charlotte Locher Institute. Yep. And this is the thing, and the person and the person, you know, was also quoted in the article: this quack doctor being like, Yeah, well, we're not really sure, but like. Um, And the thing that was upsetting to me in the article is this quack doctor who was giving them talking points on how that they should manipulate around the conversation of, let's say, rape and incest. Mm -hmm. He actually said, put forth people who have had children because of rape and incest. And he actually said the phrase and hide behind their skirts. That's literally what he said. So so let them in Rihanna's do- America. Yeah. So hide behind people who decided to and I and my friend Marine um decided to have a child from rape and incest so so what so if what? someone wants to do that
2: that is yes. 1000 they're right yeah a person should be able to choose to do that if they want to i am as much for someone doing that as i am for someone deciding not to do that right that is a decision between you your faith your god your morals you like yes. it's none of my fucking business none of my fucking but what is also wild and a point that really Um, that really got up was a burr in my saddle is, oh, so these antis are just telling politicians what to do. We can't even get Biden to answer our calls, you know, and I don't mean us in particular, but like, you know what I mean? Like pro-abortion people, we can't even get them to sit down with people who've had abortions and talk about like how we can support any sort of legislation that would give us
1: the access close to what we had with Roe. Yeah, Moji, I think that is my biggest thing in all of this is consistently These anti-abortion zealots have pushed forth legislation, forced politicians' hand, told them what they want, specifically laid out how they wanted to go down, the steps they want to take, and our side sits there and is like... Oh, can you just start a law that like helps us out, like codifies a thing that maybe there's a way that we could possibly have an abortion if you like gave us uphill and hit it in an Easter egg hunt and then threw the Easter egg in the ocean. And then if we found the egg, we could have the abortion. Could you at least give us that much? Like if we don't start demanding how they do, we're going to keep losing. It's so frustrating to hear that call and to read that article and just to hear all the ways They are telling these people what to do like they like like the way they should, because we pay them. They work for us. They actually are utilizing these politicians Mm -hmm. the way that we should be.
2: Absolutely. Another part that really like was terrifying is they were like, we need to also be tracking doctors who use affirmative defense so that we can investigate if the abortions that they said were life they said life-saving abortions are actually that and we can just be sure it's
1: wild well and it was the activist saying that the author of this legislation was like absolutely we have to do that and so they are going to figure out a system where they will be tracking these doctors and what kind of world do we live in and even and and you know it was fascinating to listen to this physician who had been quote-unquote duped you're not duped if you didn't read the bill, bitch. You're
2: also not duped if you're still doing it.
1: No. But for me <laughs> yeah. to say, wait a minute, um, it is not a code of care to have to have a doctor intervene in what they know and then have to prove legally that it was okay. And also, we have to stop with this bullshit of give us a list of what exceptions look like. Yeah. We want a list of what the life of the person is like. What are the instances? Because a list isn't how you do medicine. People train so their instincts as professionals, they can make critical judgments in times that they need. They shouldn't consult a list because there is no binary or finite number of things that are happening at any point that someone needs to intervene. It's maddening
2: it's terrifying anyway so everyone we urge you please 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 read this article get up in arms if you have if you need ideas reach out to us we have ideas we have thoughts uh we have prayers
1: too (laughs) thoughts and prayers (laughs) everybody the most sincere of us that was like our little chat we were that's not even our big stories of the week we're gonna we're gonna move on to the stories that we found um the wildest of the week. So we're going to get, you know, as we always do, the good, the bad. And this week, the unclear, I think it is. So Deeply I'm going to pick unclear. it off with the bad because um, here we go. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is being forced to testify about his pledge to prosecute those who pay for abortions outside of Texas. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no way he was forced to do anything. The Fifth Circuit, the creepiest court in the land, was like, Oh, this case is about abortion? Who's the party that's against it? Because that's who we're going to side with. Ken Paxton claimed literally that he was too high ranking to have to appear in a case where he is squashing people's constitutional rights. And the Fifth Circuit was like, yeah, you are just too high ranking to actually have to adhere to the the rule of law. But I also just want to reiterate, too, that when Ken Paxton was served his subpoena, he ran like a little bitch away from the process servers and left his wife to have to deal with the mess that he created. So he's garbage. He's weak. He's also passes the buck to his wife. You know, Texas men seem to just allow their wives to just take all the shit. Ted Cruz, all of them, it's terrible. No,
2: nope, pretty much. I think that's what they. Um, that's that's why they choose their wives. They're like, are you willing to take some shit? Uh, well, then I'd like to propose to you right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> So in North Carolina and Ohio, anti-choice Supreme Court judges had a good night. And this is um, really, really impactful because as we're seeing access to abortion is playing out in the courts, having judges that are committed to anti-choice policies, it means that they have the power to enforce terrible, terrible laws as they come down from the legislatures and not stop there. So this is... Not good. And we're going to see it play out and talk about it as these terrible rulings come in.
0: Well, I will show you something that is not good for Catholics, but I just find funny. The uh, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, they are testy. Their balls are in a tizzle about both abortion and gay marriage. But just abortion right now is what we're focusing on. And it's not for the reasons you think. So they're concerned more that the cognitive members of their flock, their asses, as Lisbeth said so eloquently earlier, are no longer in the pews. Because, hey, why is it fun to go to go to mass on a Friday, on a Saturday, on a Sunday, whatever day you're going to go, Sunday being the most common, and get that preached at you? And the Catholic bishops are seeing their, their memberships decrease because of those perspectives. Oh, people so, don't want to sit around and get hated at? Yeah, and then not contribute, not send their funds in and we all know that you know churches are nothing if not banks and very very historical buildings i love this article because
1: you know people are in the pews because people don't want to hear their abortion bullshit and especially they don't want to hear abortion bullshit from people who have um basically turned all the blind eyes to all the pedophilia so you know what catholic church that is maybe one of the biggest unforced errors in the history of <laughs> humanity your garbage too bad but there's good uh, news there's yeah, all good yeah. news this week yes. yeah yeah i'm going to lead with the
2: good news there was some good news so um you know unfortunately georgia did not deliver us governor stacy abrams um but we did get a, a a real win in the state in the last few days a judge ruled that the fetal cardiac activity ban on abortion, which essentially meant if a person could detect fetal cardiac activity, usually around six weeks, they could not perform an abortion. And generally that's before people know they're pregnant. Well, the judge said it's unconstitutional because it was unconstitutional when it was passed in 2019, Hmm. which Why didn't we say that in 2019? Why didn't someone just stop the law then? I don't Mm. know. I have thoughts. But the bad part is it doesn't stop the Georgia legislature from doing new bullshit. But currently, the people of Georgia have renewed access to abortion up to 21 weeks.
0: Woo. Yes. And to keep on this theme, um, let's go over to the other side of the country. In New Mexico, elected officials are already making good on their promises to protect abortion access. Re-elected Governor Michelle Alugin Grisham made a campaign promise that abortion would be codified in the state, and she is already working on getting the legislation drawn up. Abortion is going to be recognized as an essential part of reproductive health care that must remain legal, safe, and accessible, along with other reproductive access areas expanded and funded by the state. And this includes funding for abortion care directly, funding for new clinics in areas of the state that they don't exist. And as a state right now that later care is able to occur and like really critical third trimester care, we have to continue this and make sure that New Mexicans not only get to be protected, but, but get to be, get to make sure that that continues to be remaining.
1: That is awesome. But you know, Marie, I see your New Mexico and I'm going to raise you in Minnesota because Mm -hmm. that's what I do. Midwest is best. I mean, it's true. Um, Minnesota is just literally doing the most when it comes to abortion access. Uh, On Tuesday, elected a pro-choice majority, a pro-choice governor. They're kicking all the abortion regulations to the curb, and they're planning to codify abortion into the state constitution as one of the first things they do in the 2023 legislative session. They are declaring fake clinics a public health crisis. And now the Minneapolis City Council is considering an ordinance to, it's sort of like, a miniature version of the federal face act, which is the freedom to access clinic entrances. They want to do their state version of it. That says, look, bullies, you cannot block clinics. We're going to create a buffer zone. So patients can walk safely into their clinics with no waiting period, with no restrictions. They'll be get, they'll be able to get their abortions funded. So rah, rah, rah for Skyuma indeed. Go I'm sorry, rah, rah, rah for what? Uh-huh. Oh. What? Skyuma. Thank you very much. The blue skies. Blue skies. <laughs> so there you go. I'm very excited. Nice. I know, Marie. You're going to close it out with something we're not quite sure how we feel
0: about. Yes. I mean, overall, I suppose it's a win, but still, what does it do? You've you've heard us report on sanctuary cities, which is the trend that uh, forced birthers to co-opt a term and then galvanize populations in these small cities to pass abortion bans. Well, this week we had a fresh turn of events when the Nebraska town of Curtis, which is in a really deeply red area, was asked to vote on becoming a sanctuary city. They actually ended up saying no. In a city that overwhelmingly voted for Trump in 2020, the right to abortion was upheld by over a 40-point margin. Now, five other Nebraska cities had sanctuary city bans on their ballot as well, and those bans all passed. Thankfully, none of them are near the few clinics that are left in this state. And we've long argued, you know, how can how can like a rogue student council just uh, a student council? How can a rogue (laughs) city council just determine health care? But I just yeah. So this is this is an unclear situation where the people of Curtis are saying, hey, we support abortion, even if we don't have a clinic. Also, I
2: I just want to point out um, the other. Other Nebraska cities that did sort of let the the bans pass, some of them passed with like eight people, right? Yes. Like a hundred yep. people, like they just passed an incredibly razor thin margins, which still doesn't sort of say that, like, most people believe that people should have the right to say right. what they want to do with their bodies. In Not anything, quite a shows, win, but unclear. Okay, voting,
0: voting is powerful mm-hmm. if you want it to be and if we're allowed to make it be that. So let's try. We still have to try to fight within the systems that are here. Uh, but as always, these stories are going to be in the show notes. And we remind you the best, most up to the minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding is I need an That's right.
1: All right. I'm going to say this and I can't even believe it. We're going to get to our big stories because we haven't even gotten to our big stories yet. Maybe it's just the stories that are big to us. But uh, this story that I'm going to kick off with is a new twist on abortion doctors feeling harm, but this is really anti-abortion doctors claiming harm in the most bizarre way. So Mississippi anti-abortion doctors are suing the state because they claim they'll be forced to do no harm because the total abortion ban in Mississippi violates the Mississippi state constitution. Apparently back in 1998, in an opinion called Pro-Choice Mississippi v. Fortis, the court held that abortion is a protected right in the Mississippi Constitution. So they want the courts to overrule the constitutional right so they can continue harming patients without the threat of lawsuits. This story has got so much to unpack that I don't even know what to say. How, how, how do we have Dobbs if Mississippi has the right to abort? How do we,
0: how do we make it to the... F- I don't, you said that earlier. You said, how can something be deemed not valid anymore? And then we continue.
2: But Dobbs came out of Mississippi. And so why did it even make it out of Mississippi? If Mississippi's constitution has a constitutional right of, to abortion, I just don't understand.
1: It, it feels so confusing to me. Well, first of all, I just want to, for the record, say, what kind of fucked up doctor are you that you're saying? Hey, Supreme Court, Will you make sure you wipe a law off the book so that we can continue to actually not give care and let people die because our moral fiber as physicians allows us to be able to let people die. First of all, but second. of oh, all, because most- you're a doctor who likes watching people in sepsis.
2: Obviously Liz, Obvi, you couldn't get that.
1: <laughs> Obvi, you're, you're a topic pregnancy. That's going to latch onto your C-section scar and yeah. or whatever fucking bullshit somebody says, but um. But this is like, we, I literally do not understand because we're, we're people who have followed Mississippi for a long time. I've been to Mississippi five times. I've been to the clinic. We on this podcast have interviewed both attorneys who argued Dobbs and planned the Dobbs case on this podcast. And never once that I can recall, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Have I heard them or anyone else ever say, well, Mississippi in 1998, their state Supreme Court said that they have a constitutional right to abortion. So we're going to argue on that grounds. So I heard after Dobbs, one of the attorneys for the clinic said, we used that 1998 Supreme Court case to try to keep the clinic open. But I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. I'm literally flabbergasted, Liz.
2: I am confounded, flabbergasted. I feel like I feel like if we just had a little more time or like, you know, if Mississippi had an actual abortion clinic, I would want to talk to a lawyer about this. Like, what
1: happened? Yeah, I don't know. It seems so bizarre. And also just like that's weird. And just also these doctors are really trash, you know, for them to say, get rid of it because now that Roe is gone, get rid of it because we just want we're being harmed thinking that we may have to provide life-saving care and that we may get in trouble if we don't is some whack-ass, backward, cruel bullshit that is a mess. And it's wild that they do this in the context of their faith. Like
2: that is not, I don't know, as a person without faith, I can't, but I just like, it just seems wild that that works in that context because it just seems like you're doing it wrong. I know,
1: I know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's move on to... Our last story, though.
2: That's me. That's me. I got it. All right. We promised you an update on where we landed with ballot initiatives. And here we are. All five opportunities for voters to weigh in on the rights of pregnant people, even in red states, voters told legislators to sit the fuck down. California and Vermont, they did what we expected them to do. But Kentucky, Michigan and Montana literally showed out they were like, nah, you can't change our things. Liz, will you bring us up
1: to speed on what happened in Michigan? So, okay. We know all these ballot initiatives. Um, Michigan was the big one. You know, they also got a trifecta, which was awesome. But um, Prop 3 is what it's called. Just to understand how popular it is, by 13 points, it outperformed Gretchen Whitmer in 82 counties, right? And it is a law that includes, like Marie was talking about with the New Mexico law, this is a It gives you a fundamental right to reproductive freedom, including abortion. Um, It also includes IVF and includes miscarriage management, sterilization, prenatal care, basically enshrining bodily autonomy, right? And so for those of you that didn't follow the process of this law, the anti-abortion extremists found some typos uh, in the ballot initiative that got the most signatures of any ballot initiative in the history of the state. They almost got it tossed out. It was a whole mess. It passed by wide, wide margins. And the anti-abortion extremists have vowed that the biggest thing people know about this amendment is that it repeals this 1931 law that bans abortion. So the question in the state is, is it also going to be able to like um, to are they going to be able to outlaw uh, parental consent and things like that? And so the same people who said, there's typos, let's throw it out, are vowing massive amounts of lawsuits to say it can only ban the 1931 law. And we still want parental consent. And we still want to be able to chip away at abortion, right? So we have a lot of lawsuits ahead of us. Um, And they also are said, they're going to argue because they said that this, this amendment will allow abortions till birth. And when you hear that, that nonsense about it allows abortion to birth. I want everyone to remember that every time the right uses that cudgel and throws it out there, what they're trying to do is define us as monsters because abortion bans, as horrible as they are, one of the things they do that I believe we don't talk about enough is to dehumanize the patient that wants an abortion and the advocates for it to not only Make us sound mentally incapacitated, but also cruel and without a conscience. And if you allow those things to stand in a society, that will allow society to regulate us and literally take away our rights. So we have to push back hard. So while it's a big win, their side is ready for bear and is gunning to do everything they can to just make it not great.
2: I also want to just point out that it outperformed the governor, which means a lot of people are like, won't vote for her. We'll vote for this. Mm-hmm. It's really exceedingly
1: popular. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter, always is.
0: And that, again, shows and illustrates how abortion is separate. It is not a political issue. The people right. People are making different assessments on it. And I am here with some really cool updates from Montana. This is a state that had bad ballot measures in place. They would have put born-alive language and requirements on doctors. If it had passed, the measure included up to 20 years in prison for healthcare providers unless they take, quote, all medically appropriate and reasonable actions to preserve the life of an infant born alive. So why, why in particular isn't this a bad thing? A, this does not happen. We have safe abortion care. It is 2022, like, th- and this is on the backs of people that didn't get to have that care. It is disgusting that we're not allowing people to just d- to do that. And you have teams of medical providers that are there overseeing folks that are receiving surgical abortion care. Also, it is incredibly painful for a pregnant person who's had a desired pregnancy but needs an abortion and wants to have a grieving process, wants to have a time to be there with this pregnancy and how that looks to them after the abortion ends you're now pulling in folks that are, are not allowing someone to have that that palliative end of life process to them over a pregnancy that wasn't allowed to survive. Mm-hmm. And for the record, also the farthest, quote unquote, if you're thinking of it like that, that someone can get care in Montana it's just to under 22 weeks at one independent provider. So there are not 42-week old babies tumbling out of, you know, operating rooms in Montana not getting That they need to have after abortions. This is this is the state pretending and trying to tug on people's heartstrings. And the voters of of Montana saw through that and said, nope, we're not going to support this. And ironically, Liz, you brought up Susan B. Anthony list. Um, I was reading up an article of them and they blamed The fact that all these five states abortion won out or or anti-abortion laws were defeated. They're blaming this on um, loss on money being pumped in by our side, like these the incredibly rich, well-funded people that are out here to, you know, support abortion access and, you know, flip elections like no voters are getting more educated if we allow them and we don't gerrymander the shit out of where they're at. And the fact that we get to see that on a state level is pretty cool. Because you can gerrymander. You're still going to get those votes, yay or nay, on, on yeah. a ballot measure. Also, that's what pay, got to paying for truth?
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep.
0: So, sorry, yeah, I've no, gone way over the cues to, like, no, it's
1: No, it's, it's okay. Fine. It's good. But also, Marie, I just want to say before Moji jumps into, like, where it's really just shit the bed, is that is another demonizing, turning people into monsters, assuming that they are mm-hmm. doing this thing with, that people would not allow infants care and that, yep. that somehow there's nefarious, murderous baby murder going on. It's bullshit. But um one state is really doing the most.
2: Yes, 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 yes. You know, Kentucky is going Kentucky. And so anyway, no, actually, Kentucky's great. Kentucky was trying to add language. Some of the legislatures were trying to add language to the constitution that explicitly said abortion is not a right in that state. And voters essentially said, please don't change our constitution. We like it just as it is. So abortion is still banned in the state, but defeating Amendment 2, that's what the ballot initiative was called, it gives a path to reinstate the right to abortion. And the two remaining providers in Kentucky are currently fighting for that right in the state Supreme Court. Had this amendment passed, their fight would have been dead in the water. Nonetheless, Daniel Cameron... My 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 fuckboy boyfriend, the AG of Kentucky and the man whose favorite kink is an opportunity to do harm. He sent his office to the state Supreme Court this week to basically say that, like, the intent of the 1891 Constitution is not to allow abortion. And his 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 opening brief literally says the court interprets the words that Kentucky's ratified in 1891 not the intended effect of the words that they failed to ratify in 2022. He's essentially saying, which is a lot of what these abortion bans on record were saying, is like, oh, no, the words of people who don't, who like are dead, who aren't here, who've never seen an iPhone are way more important than the people who are voting this second.
1: Also, women weren't in the Constitution.
2: And one of the state badass Supreme Court judges said exactly that. She was like, Oh, you mean this document that was written not only with women, the Constitution doesn't even say the word women or women in it at all. I also, when talking about just how this fuckboy fucks off always, the state's den- Democratic governor, he's not even interested in enforcing these bans. This is all the AG, Daniel Cameron, doing all this shit for funsies.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'm glad to like, we listened to him, his, it wasn't him. It was his office presenting the case before the state Supreme court on, on why, why they should not uphold this law. And the first thing that one of the judges said was, are you coming here today to say that the will of the people should be ignored. And if you are, why are we spending thousands and thousands of dollars on ballot measures to find out what the people want, just so you can waltz in here with your fuckery and say, oh, I know people overwhelmingly voted for this, but I'm in charge and I don't care what they think because I just want to do what I think because I'm Mitch McConnell's lotion boy and I just want (laughs) to find my way (laughs) up the ladder. It's so disgusting. Um, And but the goodness is I've never heard a better group of judges call out their terrible arguments at every turn. And it was really encouraging. And I think that they're going to say, Dying Fire, buddy, isn't real. And I think this might be a really good time to turn to our guests who are taking on shipbag Daniel Cameron in a lawsuit.
0: Yes, three Jewish women are suing Kentucky's Attorney General to strike down the Commonwealth's abortion ban in fetal personhood law. Joining us today is lead plaintiff Lisa Sobel and co-counsel Ben Potash. Ben, Lisa, it is so great for you to join us. Thank you for being here today. Thanks Thank for you. having
3: us on. Hi.
0: Well, to get started, uh, we were hoping that you can you can tell us about this case. You can lay out what's what's going on for our listeners. Ben, do you want to start?
4: Oh, you start.
3: Okay. Well, there are three of us here in Kentucky, three Jewish women who have banded together as plaintiffs. We're all named. So it's myself, Lisa Sobel, as well as Jessica Kelb and Sarah Barron. And we decided to sue the attorney general here, Daniel Cameron, his office, uh, to try and overturn all of the different abortion laws that are here in Kentucky.
2: We are really fascinated to hear about about just what you guys were doing. Can you lay out for us also what particularly about the Jewish religion and religious laws that makes these laws harmful and in violation of the free practice of your faith?
3: Certainly. So I want to start with the fact that we're coming at this from two different areas. One is the fact that the laws, which are basically a patchwork of 20 years of legislation, are completely vague and It's very hard to know what is and is not allowed currently uh, to myself, but also to lawyers like Ben and doctors. And myself, I need IVF in order to have biological children. So does Jessica Kalb and potentially so does Sarah Barron. And we all want to grow our families, which is a big part of the Jewish faith, Uh, the first of the mitzvot commandments is to be fruitful and multiply. And so we all want to have larger families. We We want to have children, but because we need IVF, currently the way that the laws are laid out, it's not clear what is allowed and what is not allowed. Now, I will point out that since we filed our case, The attorney general's office did come out with a non-binding advisory for physicians and their attorneys so that they could know that they should not consider prosecuting IVF. Now, the key part of that is that it's non-binding, which means that any prosecutor here in the state of Kentucky could still decide to prosecute anybody who's going through fertility services or chooses to no longer use their embryos, um, or in my case, I had embryos that were not compatible with life, unfortunately, and my doctor would not transfer them, which I appreciate. Um, and so, we're going from that aspect, but also in Jewish tradition, uh, we understand that life comes before everything else. That it, you're allowed to break any other um, rule if you're saving a life which is key here because for the rabbis to understand that life is important, they say that the life of the mother comes before that of her unborn child. And so... We've had that understanding in Jewish tradition for several centuries. It's something that all of us across the Jewish spectrum appreciate and understand. And so for us, that's critical because we don't believe that life begins at conception. We believe that it begins at the first independent breath. And so for the legislature and Daniel Cameron to decide that that is not the case is a real problem for us because it goes directly against our understanding of when life begins.
4: Basically comes down to life beginning at conception, which is coded into Kentucky law. Yep. Kentucky law says a human being is starts when a sperm meets an egg. And another statute says killing a human being is the capital offense, including fetal homicide. So what that means is if Lisa disposes of her non-viable fertilized eggs, she's potentially looking at a death sentence, which is insane. Which is so insane. And and of course, here comes Daniel Cameron with a non-binding advisory saying, no, we didn't mean any of that.
2: Classic Daniel.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Danny. He's pulled so many shenanigans in this
1: case. So many shenanigans. We have been following Daniel Cameron since he started holding office. And it feels like his MO is simply to do harm. It's yes. sort of like that is his thirst, right? And we were also talking earlier in the show, uh, ProPublica has just come forward with this. They released a tape um, out of Tennessee This uh, where they're talking to the Susan B. Anthony list and the Tennessee Right to Life and how that they're, and how they're strategizing and planning to have IVF and birth control B. So all the things that we're saying, gee, I wonder if they're going to, you know, the strategy meeting was just released. And it's so horrifying to hear that. And as you say, um, you know, that, that Kentucky law says life begins when a fertilized egg and sperm connect, that might be true, but that's not when pregnancy starts. Right. right. And so you know, that's the whole point. It, are, what are we exactly legislating here? Sperm and egg, their existence? Like they're also alive separately. So is that a thing? You know, like how far does this go? And at what point did you say enough is enough? It's hard enough to have to try to get pregnant um through IVF, you know, the struggles, the finances, all of it, and then to have the state intervene in your life. At what point, Lisa, Did you say, I simply will not sit back and I'm going to prioritize this so that I can have my family? And how did you find Ben- to help you through this?
3: Well, Ben is half of the dynamic duo that is our legal team. We also have Aaron Kemper. And what's interesting is that uh, myself and Ben and Aaron and Jessica are all Kentucky natives and grew up here. And so I actually went to religious school with Aaron and went through high school with him. Jessica and I are former colleagues at um, positions that we no longer hold. Uh, Sarah and I helped plan a whole bunch of young adult events and young family events for the community. So we're all sort of intertwined. And when the Dobbs decision was released, uh, I was headed out of town for a lovely beach vacation that was oh so restful. (laughs) And the whole way down and the whole way back, I'm sitting here talking to my husband going, I just don't know what to do. I mean, we had taken our daughter, like we picked her up early from preschool and took her down to the rally that was at the courthouse here in Louisville that day. And it was great to see that huge amount of community gathering. But I was like, well, okay, so I vote in every election because that's what I'm told is important to do. And I do my research on these elected officials, but that doesn't seem to be enough when is it going to be enough? And so on my drive back, I got an email from Aaron going, hey, you're really into the Jewish community here. We are interested in like talking with other people who might be interested in filing a case similar to the one in Florida. And so I said, okay, well, let me think about my Rolodex of people, which is very long. Then sitting down with Ben and Aaron and talking, it was like, holy crap, the person who has to do this is me. I can't sit here read all these books about Shiro's to my daughter, tell her about our sages, Hillel, who says, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If not now, when? I can't say that to her and then pass up this opportunity. And so it was from that point going forward shortly after the Florida case was filed that we we're like, nope, we're doing this. We're standing up and we're taking the risk because somebody needs to do it and that somebody needs to be me.
2: I'm really glad you brought up the Florida case. Can you tell us what makes your case different from the Florida case? Um, I feel like there are similar cases being brought by people um, in the Jewish faith in Indiana and also Ohio and the ones that you're aware of. Can you speak to the differences and how you're you're sort of going about challenging these laws?
3: I'm going to let Ben take that one because I do not have a legal degree and he does.
4: (laughs) The first one was Barry Silver in in Florida, and he actually somehow found my cell phone after he filed it and called me out of the blue. He's a really nice guy. His complaint is about the right to privacy, kind of traditional Roe v. Wade theories of, of abortion rights, but through the prism of Judaism. We really wanted to take a completely different tack. So, I mean, Roe v. Wade, unfortunately, was overturned you know i mean we believe in the right to privacy all all of us everyone involved in the case believes the right to privacy but it seems like the supreme court doesn't seems like those are the kinds of things that are getting knocked down day after day on the other hand religious rights are things that the right wing seems to love and takes very seriously so if you know if they can say well you know i don't want to bake a cake for a gay guy then why do i have to believe their philosophy about a fertilized egg that that's the main difference so we're using some of their legal theories because those are the legal theories that seem to be working for better or for worse. You know, it's a brave new world we live in. So we're taking that direction. Uh, I'm happy to say that uh, as we were planning our lawsuit, the ACLU of Indiana pursued a pretty similar lawsuit using um, the religious liberty angle theory. They've limited it to RFRA, RFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is something that's designed to create carve-outs for religious exceptions. We also made a RFRA claim. It's not our proudest claim. We, we're going after something from Section 5 of the state constitution. And, uh, and if you read the Section 5 of the Kentucky constitution, it is huge. It's expansive. It says, there in no way shall any human authority interfere with the right of conscience. Oh, wow. Much, much stronger than the First Amendment, in my opinion. Yeah. We made two different claims under Section 5 of the state constitution because, again, the Dobbs decision says this is something that the states need to decide on their own. So we're suing state officials under state law. Didn't stop Daniel Cameron from trying to move our case into federal court wrongly, but we're trying to stay in state court and because we made these state claims.
1: Will you talk a little bit about Daniel Cameron trying to take it to federal court? Because um, it, it, if you're not, get, if your state's saying it's trash, it's always seems like a really good idea to go higher.
4: So, okay. So after Dobbs came out, Daniel Cameron issued a public statement as he's wont to do. And his public statement said, no longer will abortion law be handled by unelected judges in the federal judiciary. He did public pronouncement. And so when we filed our suit, state claims, state law. His office waited until the last day to respond. Last hour. Yeah, pretty close to the last hour to respond. Classic Daniel. And instead of giving us a response in legal terms an answer, his office filed, oh, I don't know, maybe a five-line notice of removal of federal court based on one sentence of one paragraph of one count of our five-count 101 paragraph complaint. There was one paragraph where we said, these claims violate, you know, the, the things that the, the state government is doing violate due process and the First Amendment, which is part of state law. If you get into the nitty gritty, which I won't bore you with, it's actually a claim under state law. Um, they used a very bad argument. And in our opinion, it was just to waste maybe three months, just kill time for three months and and hope that they can do anything other than attack our claim on the merits, because our merits are very strong. Our clients are great. Our claims are great. We're making state claims that, that, you know, Daniel Cameron, on the day that we filed, made another public pronouncement that he's in charge of protecting religious liberties for the state. And we said, here you go.
2: Here's some religious liberties. (laughs) He's like, not quite this religion. Sorry. He didn't mean this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wrong religion. Try another one, please. Thank you. (laughs)
3: Pretty much,
2: yeah.
4: They like using the phrase Judeo-Christian, right? Judeo-Christian this, Judeo-Christian that. No. Mm-hmm. That Judeo is in big parentheses.
1: Yeah,
2: huge parentheses.
1: Yeah, they really hate. They, they're they like, it's like Judeo, like Christian. You know, they're always like whispering the Judeo part or choking on it. Yeah. It's or a, they
2: actually just don't know what it means. And they're like, it's all one word. And it's also like. Also fair. It's a
3: term that just needs to be removed because on so many levels, we have so many differing opinions of everything that it's just remove it. Like, just be frank and honest. You're talking about a very specific Christian viewpoint that not all Christians hold and say that, say that this is my personal private belief and I'm imposing it upon the entire state of Kentucky because I feel I have the right to do that.
2: I mean, that's honest. That's a level of honesty we have not seen.
3: I will say that his advisory opinion came out just before he answered us.
2: That's right. On the same day he filed his
4: five-line notice of removal, he also issued this uh, public pronouncement. Don't worry, we're not going to prosecute any of these little Jewish ladies. We're definitely not going to. We promise, we promise, we promise. Link, right? right? Non-binding. Non-binding.
3: Non-binding. Andy, he, can re- he can remove it at any time that he wants. Something we're trying to figure out here
0: is if, what what is binding? In particular, your case being affected by the anti-abortion ballot measure that just failed. Does that measure mean anything? This affirmation that some may would view as, you know, right to
3: abortion in Kentucky, what does that do for your case? It doesn't touch the case legally. I will tell you that on a private note for us, for those of us who are the plaintiffs, it is very affirming. To know that we're not alone, that this viewpoint that we hold, that life does not begin at conception, that people should have the freedom to have autonomy over their bodily decisions, that it's something that they should be able to have the right to talk with their doctor about and their clergy member and make the decision for themselves, is something that many Kentuckians also agree with us. That being said as I'm sure you've seen, Daniel Cameron's office once again has come out and said, especially in this case and in the ACLU's case that they have, that they just heard yesterday in the Supreme Court or two days ago in the Supreme Court, that vote should not have any standing with these two cases, which we don't agree with. We think that the People have spoken. The most purest form of democracy is the vote. It's why it's so important. And Kentucky came out in droves and said, "Not today, not ever. We don't agree with this."
1: Yeah, we watched. Um, we watched those hearings, and you know, it was it was really fun to watch some of those judges be like, "Oh, you mean 1831, back when women weren't even mentioned in the Constitution that time." <laughs> Sir, is that what you're referring to? Like, there was like, there was. I just love when judges can have this level of snark that you don't even see the snark. It's just like all of a sudden, shit just came at you, and it's like, why should we? Are you coming here today to tell us that the will of the people should be overridden? Is that is that what you're saying? Like, it was great. I really did. You guys feel like we felt like go Kentucky. We felt like that couldn't have gone any better. How did you guys feel when about the hearing?
4: Amazing. And let me let me tell you something very quickly about that. You're talking about Justice Keller, who is a hero. Uh, she just was facing an election against a um, in, 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 just out of, I don't know, a bonkers right winger who uh, was funded by some zillionaires with dark money from out of state they were trying to pack the courts with fascists who would roll the clock back, not even to the 1700s, but maybe the 1200s.
1: Before there and were clocks. Everyone...
2: <laughs> Sundial, roll the clock back to sundials.
4: <laughs> right. Move that planet backward. And everyone thought she was going to lose. And she won. And she's got a mandate from her people. The people uh, these are the people that live south of Cincinnati, northern Kentucky. And they're not known as super liberal out there. We live in Kentucky. Half of the state is evangelical. Sixty percent vote for Trump. They returned Justice Keller to the bench. And she's a hero. She's got a mandate. She sat there and took that bullshit apart piece by piece. She deserves a medal. I thought it
3: was better than watching Judge Judy. It was great. (laughs) And it was something that I feel like, most of Kentuckians can watch and understand what's being said. There wasn't a ton of legal language being thrown around, which I think makes these cases sort of the easiest cases for the public to understand is that we all understand. Well, for the most part, we all understand biology. And for the most part, we understand anatomy, except for maybe the Kentucky legislature. And Daniel but...
1: Cameron. <laughs> and yes. Daniel Cameron. And most and most men who are in office.
3: And so- You know, I feel like we have that opportunity to watch it and to digest it and to talk about it, which is why doing podcasts like this are so important. We've got to keep people talking about these issues and helping educate the greater public because nine times out of 10 before the election, when I would get the opportunity to talk with people about this, they didn't know the implications. They didn't know the unintended consequences of passing the amendment. And for us, we already don't have a great healthcare system here in Kentucky. It's very limited. The rural areas that need it most don't have it. They don't have the funding for it. And so to have these abortion laws on the books means that we are not going to have the medical care that we need for everybody here in this state. It means that our medical schools are not going to be able to teach a full medical education, which means the medical students aren't going to want to come here. And the medical students are the ones who are helping the most out in the rural areas that need those clinics fully staffed. And so it's not just about unborn babies. It's not just about embryos on ice. It is about the full healthcare system. And to be honest, if half these guys had a uterus, they would want medical staff to be able to handle that organ because it is very finicky.
2: It's such a they finicky They always order.
3: want <laughs> to handle
1: their organ. Yeah. They always um, want someone to handle their organ. Um, and, you know, it, this is such a great interview for this show because we have been talking earlier also just about politicians signing bills because they thought it was a political statement and not understanding that this affects real people's lives. Moji, I think it's going to take us out with our last question.
2: Yeah, this is, uh, we it's been so great talking to you guys. And of course, these interviews go entirely too quickly. Um, But we just want to know before we let you go, wh- where do you go from here? What's next? What's What's going on with this case and you guys?
3: We keep talking about it. We keep it at the forefront. We keep calling out the AG's office when they step in it and make a flip-flopping statement. And we wait. We wait for a federal judge to decide what to do with our case, whether they're going to hear it or whether they're going to send it back to state court, uh, which is what we think that it should be. It's what Dobbs said it was these issues being covered by state courts. And so we wait. And we fundraise because we understand that this is going to be a uh, long battle that's going to have a lot of legal bills that none of us have any money. We're five scrappy millennials just trying to make a living currently. And so nobody has the funding to just be like, oh, yeah, $10,000 to make photocopies. Sure, I've got that. No, we don't have any of that kind of money.
1: Well, we're going to put all those GoFundMes and all those links in our show notes, and we're going to encourage people to donate because if you're looking for something to do and you feel helpless, the best one of the best things you can do is find people who are fighting the fight for you through themselves and helping fund that. So that's awesome.
2: I'd just like to close us out by saying fuck Daniel Cameron. And uh, thank you so
1: much, Lisa and Ben, for joining us.
2: (laughs) 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 And just a reminder, you can donate to the plaintiff's GoFundMe at the link in our show notes. And to stay up to date on the lawsuit and also the ones happening in Florida, Indiana and Ohio, follow the National Council for Jewish Women on social media ncjw on twitter and at ncjwinc on facebook and instagram again thank you so much for joining us liz before we close out i'm gonna toss it to her with a word from our favorite fake sponsor
1: what do cell phone companies and single women have in common they each have too much power over you you're just a single white dude trying your best with what you got But these companies and these unmarried women are controlling everything, especially when and if you get laid. Because remember, guys, the reason you're alone and a virgin is not because of toxic feminism. It's also because toxic feminism is clogging cell phone towers, preventing you from making the connections you deserve. Introducing Incellular Wireless, a new kind of telecommunications company that understands this and has the ability to unclog this series of feminist tubes, so you can pursue any woman you want the way you want. Use the promo code Elon is my hero to unlock a 20% discount on one of the Incellular Wireless's many plans. There's the basic Persystum with disables, her blocking, and silence features, so you can call and text her over and over until she has to answer or get fired from her job. Or if you prefer the more deluxe package, sign up for the Infinite Pest. With this package, you get all the features of the system plus the second the woman turns you down, your unlimited minutes kick in, allowing you to rant on her voicemail as long as you need about how much you never wanted her skanky face near your pole anyway. So switch to incellular wireless today because it's never you. It's always the feminists and Verizon. <laughs> oh, so this is just Twitter, but like directly oh. to her phone. I love this. I, I feel like it's just basically yeah. Twitter, open Twitter DMs, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, for the incels. So um, again, our sponsors are doing the most. They're Cell doing the best. That's our show. That's, That's our, our show. show. Yes. Wow, we're closing it out. So thank you so much, Lisa and Ben, for the work you're doing and for joining us. You can donate to the three plaintiffs. Go fund me at the link in our show notes and help offset the cost of their lawsuit.
2: Thanks so much for listening. We are here for you as we navigate these dark days. We want to be a, a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times ahead. We are in this together. We got you. Subscribe, write a review, give us five stars, please. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest Repro News, follow us on social at Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Remedie Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
0: Wondering where you might fit in some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together, and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities.
2: Looking for some action, like to be a part of the solution action? Join the Workers Circle to make calls to Georgia voters with nonpartisan information they need about early voting, mail-in voting, and polling places in this uphill voting environment. You can make calls at 7 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, November 23rd and or Wednesday, November 30th by signing up at the link in the show
1: notes. And you don't have to live in Georgia to do it. Just wanted to put that out. Um, self-indulgence alert. I have my year in review shows in the Twin Cities at the Parkway Theater. So if you are in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, December 30th, to 31st, pop by the Parkway Theater and see my year in review. Let's laugh these garbage people all the way out of 2022 so we can start 2023 anew. Tickets are available at theparkwaytheater.com. And of course, the links are in the show notes. Next week, we are taking our Thanksgiving break. And then I am heading to an activist conference in Slovenia. That's right. The home of Melania. But Moji and Marie are going to be back here holding <laughs> it down <laughs> with guest host Renee Bracey Sherman and the Puerto Rico-based abortion doula group Las Mingas, plus radical baker Becca ray Tucker, aka The Sweet Feminist Joins.
0: And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content, and it is the only way you can get yourself a dope Feminist Buzzkills t-shirt or hoodie. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills.
2: And closing this week's show, Christian hate preacher Jason Graber from Shore Foundation Baptist Church in Spokane, Washington, shows his whole ass with one cheek being violent and one cheek being misogyny. Enjoy your time off. Remember, you can enjoy turkey and not celebrate colonizers.
4: But here's the thing. If we if we have this red wave, are they going to do anything? No. Are they going to pass, you know, the abortion ban nationwide and have all abortion doctors retroactively put to death? Are they going to do that? No. Why? Cuz they're cowards. But 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 today we have Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you know, and anybody that votes for her, you're not real conservative, fake conservative. Why? Uh, because Marjorie Taylor Greene should be at home, being obedient to her husband. It's good. That's what she should be. Where's her husband?
0: Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like,
3: subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills.